How are we doing, Revolution? Okay, <clears throat> this is becoming a pattern. Um, let's try this again. How are we doing, Revolution? There we go. You've got to be happy. I mean, come on, Kentucky and Ohio State are going to the Final Four, right? Kentucky. Right, there we go. There's my man right there. He's among the elect, that's right. All right, so... <laughs> Uh, I love the Onion article that uh, Dave Dunham sent me today where it said that the uh, front page of the sports section was Kentucky sticking with strategy of having far and away better athletes at every position. I, uh, I thought that's a winning strategy. Uh, we are jumping in to Romans uh, 12. Uh, we won't quite finish that. Call it an audible and, and push that back a little bit. I want to uh, divide the rest of Romans 12 into, into two sermons. Um, so we will do Romans 12, 3 through 8 tonight. If you're looking at the blue Bible, those are pay, it's on page 682. Uh, you should have a blue Bible there on your chair. If you have your own Bible, just go to Romans 12, 3 through 8. If you have one of the blue Bibles, go to page 682. That's where you want to go. And by the way, if you do not own a Bible, these Bibles are there for you to take. If you do not own a Bible of your own, or if the Bible you own you find difficult to read, Take one of these home. It is yours. It is our gift to you. All right? Um, uh, also, um, I, I don't remember if I was kind of zoning out thinking about uh, Kentucky's win today So when Justin was talking. But also, if there's anybody out there who wants to get baptized, okay, we've had a couple people ask about getting baptized. Uh, if you want to get baptized, please let me or Dave know and we will arrange a baptismal service. The way we like to do it is we like to set a Sunday aside, either Easter Sunday, week after Easter, whatever, and we bring our uh, portable baptistry, which we keep upstairs. It looks like a big black um, goth hot tub, and we put it right up here, and we will baptize you, and we, we make the entire service around um, the bat- baptism. So if that's something that interest you talk to Dave or I, we will be happy to discuss what that means, what you're committing to, and what needs to be done before we can go through with that, okay? All right, Romans 12, 3 through 8. Let's read about it. It's pretty straightforward, and then we will talk about it. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, Now, this is Paul talking, all right? He's talking about the privilege of serving him and the authority as an apostle. Now, here in a minute, I'm going to talk about ministry in the church, and I'm going to talk about how it is. I'm just going to give you... uh, I put my sermon outline up on Saturday night, so you can look at it, by the way, on the Revolution Facebook page. And I would ask you to read what we uh, are going to look at and then look at that outline and then come prepared to discuss it um, here at church. And and on the Revolution Facebook page, one of the things I put on the point is... I am a big believer that church needs to be more decentralized. We need more people doing ministry, less professional staff. We don't need the pro serving the saved, right? What we need is the saved serving the unsaved, all of us, right? That's what we need. We need more decentralization. But it doesn't mean there's no authority. It doesn't mean that it's all free-for-all. It doesn't mean there's a, there's a big movement, usually among what they call house churches, where it is there is no authority, everybody is the same, and of course, uh, in one sense, of course, we all are the same because we are all sinners saved by grace. But still, there is still some authority. Paul had authority, right? He's saying, I had privilege to serve God, and I have some authority 
here. You have to have, like this church, believe it or not, even though you know this looks like uh, some kind of decrepit uh, nightclub, that in fact, um, this, this is a church with elders and deacons. Uh, Justin, who you just saw doing the announcements, is an elder. I'm an elder. Ryan Rolfe, who will be up here leading worship, is an elder. We like to turn, use the term leadership team because none of us are 40 and elder sounds old, but you know, it's still, um, it's still we're, we're, and biblically, we're elders. There has to be authority in the church, but there still needs to be decentralization. There still needs to be a, a level of, of people going out and doing their own ministry. God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think of yourselves better than you really are. And we'll come back and circle around about this when we're done. But let me begin and end this way. Because it is all about grace. There is no place for arrogance in the kingdom. No place for arrogance in the kingdom. We all may have different gifts, but those gifts do not equate more valuable to God. Right? We are all saved. Now, I've said this many times before. Let me say it again. Okay? Um, I was raised in the church... Right? My father is a pastor. I went through the youth group thing. I walked away from church. I came back to the faith. God was good enough to save me at age 25. I went to seminary. I graduated at the top of my seminary class. I'm ordained. All that kind of stuff. I'm an elder of a church. And the simple fact is, I get into heaven because of the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that only. Right? Seminary does not save me. Being a preacher does not save me. Serving God does not save me. Jesus Christ saves me. So there's Jesus and everybody else. And that brings a lot of humility, or should. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. In other words, examine yourself. This is something Christians don't do enough. We, we have this attitude that, okay, we're saved... We made it, right? Somewhere, somewhere along the way, somebody, you know, however, maybe they told a a dead grandma, dead puppy story, or they played Just As I Am 50 times, or they played some lame Michael W. Smith song enough times, and everybody cried, and you came forward, and you repeated the prayer, and all that kind of stuff, and you're saved, and you're done, and now we're just sitting around waiting for the rapture or whatever, right? Just waiting to get raptured out of this trailer park, and that's all it's about, right? But that is not what it is about. It's about examining stuff. It's about growth. Right? Christians are to constantly examine themselves to go to Scripture and see, where am I? Right? Where am I strong? Praise God for where I'm strong. And where am I weak? And how can I work with the help of the Holy Spirit to become stronger in those areas to the glory and honor of God? To examine yourself. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. And we all belong to each other. So we have different gifts, different jobs, but we all are one family who belong to another. And our family has not only an older brother, but a king. His name is Jesus. He calls all the shots. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Now, prophesy. He is not talking necessarily about going into some kind of trance and talking about something that's in the future. 
right? That, that is not what he's talking about. The word prophecy, both in Hebrew and in Greek, basically just mean this. Speak for God. God has told you, go, say this, you go, say it. And most of the time, prophecy is not about some future event. Typically, if you read through the prophets, and Dave and I have been talking about maybe going through the minor prophets, uh, so maybe this summer or fall, something like that, the prophets typically, they don't talk that much about the future. The prophets typically say this, people of God, get your act together. God has saved you. Respond in grace. Respond in gratitude. Live in response to grace. Go do. You've been commissioned to do. Commissioned to live righteously. Go do it. That's what a prophet does. A prophet calls the people of God back to their mission. Prophesy. Speak out with as much faith as God's given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher... Teach well. In other words, study hard. Right? You know how many... It is absolutely alarming. A study was done. How many preachers get their sermons by stealing them off the internet? That's pathetic. That's pathetic. You don't grow that way. You don't... It's no wonder the church is in so much trouble because you cannot lead people to a place you haven't been yourself. And you've got to go there. You've got to dig into the Word of God. You've got to pray. You've got to, if you're going to teach, if you're a teacher, if you have the ability to communicate, right? If you have been given some kind of gift. I'm not the best preacher in the world, but here's the deal. I am perfectly comfortable up here in front of you. I get no jitters about speaking in public. I speak, I've spoken to thousands of people, hundreds of people. does not bother me. God has given me the gift where I am much more nervous speaking to a person one-on-one than I am in front of a thousand people. Don't ask me why. That's how it is. Okay, so since God has given me that gift, that means what I've got to do is take the other tools He's given me and study hard and dig deep. In the free seminary class that we're doing right now, the one I'm teaching, we're, we're, learning, we're, we're learning how to teach. We're learning how to do you know, Bible studies, how to lead Bible studies, how to study to lead others. And what they're discovering is, man, this is a lot of hard work. Yes, it's a lot of hard work. If you've been called to teach, teach well, work hard. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging, right? Have you ever met that person that just like, you know, that person that's always happy all the time, Right? They're just always happy. And there are times when you're in such bad moods, you're just like you want to punch them in the throat because it's always like, shut up. You know, don't you ever get depressed? What's wrong with you? Right? But there's another part of you that just wants to be around that person, especially when you have a problem, right? That's a gift. That's a gift to have that kind of disposition. To have that kind of, the glass is half full, everything's great. I don't have that gift. <laughs> right? I, I am, the glass is half empty, there's a hole in the bottom, there's water pouring out, it's going on to electricity, it's going to kill us all. <laughs> that's my, that's where I live, man, right? I like to be around people that are encouraging, right? One of our elders, Justin Clark, is always, he calls me out when he has to call me out, but he also pats me on the back all the time. Justin is an encouraging guy, that's a gift. It's a great, great gift, if it is giving, give generously. I don't know how many of you know, we do take tithes. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> All right? All right? We, got, we got bills to pay, man. We would, we would love to pay. Give generously. Now, 
I do not take a salary here at Revolution because I am blessed enough to have a great day job, and my day job is I raise money for a ministry out of Arizona, right? And so I meet with a lot of wealthy Christians. And you would be shocked because so many of us in the 99%, right, which by the way, if you make $50,000 a year in your household income, you're in the top 0.1% in the world. Just consider that before you point fingers. I meet with so many wealthy Christians who after having money for a while realize that having money in and of itself does not make you happy. And when they have come to that realization because they are Christians, because they have been blessed by Jesus Christ, they find their joy in giving that money away. I know a guy in, I, I kid you not, there's a guy in north of Pittsburgh. I had dinner with him last month. He has had years where he has given away 90% of his income. 90%. And he's happier than most people I meet. If your gift is to give, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. That's one of my wife's gifts to do. Now, what are we going to do with all this? See, here's how God works, right? God does these things. If you don't believe God is active in the world, all you've got to do is hang around this place long enough, and you'll see things happen. Um, I just finished a book called The Permanent Revolution about different, decentralizing the church and having different ministries in the church taking Romans 12 and Ephesians 4.11 as the model. And I pick up this book knowing nothing about it. A publisher says to me, I start reading it at the same time I start studying for this sermon. Right? This is what God does. So, with a lot of help from the authors of that book, a guy named Alan Hirsch and another guy named Tim Ketchum, who've done some marvelous, marvelous work. Um, I don't mind telling you, I'm sure he doesn't mind telling you, Dave and I are serious geeks. We read a lot, right? We would rather read this. Like, if it's like a sunny day, that's almost depressing because it's like I don't have an excuse to stay in and like read, right? I'm just, I'm just, I have no life and I'm happy with it. And we love to read. And, and one of the authors, both he and I enjoy a guy named Alan Hirsch. Alan Hirsch is just a brilliant guy who is really challenging the church to be on mission. In other words, complete the mission you were given. What an idea, right? Instead of just serve yourself and exist for yourself, exist for the mission Christ has given you. And he thinks that the church has really missed out by not taking scripture like Romans 12, 3 through 8 and Ephesians 4 through 11 seriously. I want to read through Ephesians 4.11 real quickly, then we're going to pray, and we're going to talk about how to apply this here at Revolution. If you want to jump to Ephesians 4, that's on page 705. It's only one verse, so it won't take long. Ephesians 4.11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. 
Now, Alan Hirsch argues that every church should have all five of those ministries. Now, now, he doesn't mean you resurrect Paul and you, you go crown some new, you know, apostles with authority. He gets that that's, we can't do that anymore. He's got a little different take on it, and I think it's an important take. Let's pray, and then we'll talk about it. Heavenly Father, help us now as we have gone through your holy word. Help us now to unpack it and apply it to our lives. May every person here who calls you Lord... Take anything seriously, take anything to heart that you want them to take to heart, anything that you inspire, anything else may it fall on deaf ears. And may your words truly take deep root and help all of us to serve you and bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds or pastors, teachers, Five offices, five ministries. I think he's right about this in the church. And here's how he unpacks this. First of all, apostles. What does he mean that says that we need apostles? He means that we need entrepreneurs in the church. See, here's the thing about Peter and Paul. If you read through Acts, and you should read through Acts, but never read through Acts before reading Luke. Acts is the sequel to Luke. So read Luke before you read Acts. Now, the people in my class know this. I had to take an oath when I was in seminary. I had to raise my hand in front of one of my seminary professors and repeat this. I, state your name, and I probably said state your name because I roll that way. I, state your name, promise never to read Acts without reading Luke first and if I do, I go to hell. That's what, he, that's what I, I had to swear an oath that. It's like watching The Godfather 2 without watching The Godfather. It's like watching The Empire Strikes Back without watching Star Wars. You're going to be totally confused. You need to read Luke first. But if you, once you read Luke and then you get to Acts, what happens in Acts is you basically have two different ministries. You have the highlighted ministries of Peter and the highlighted ministry of Paul. Now, typically, the way this all shook out in church history is that Peter, typically, not totally, not exclusively, but Peter would go to Jews. And Paul had more success among Gentiles. And here was the instruction that Jesus gave them. Jesus said, I want you to go from Jerusalem, where we're at. I want you to go to Samaria, or the ghetto. I want you to go to the ends of Israel throughout the country, and then I want you to go to the rest of the world. See you later. That's it. That's the only instruction they got. Right? Today, if you go start a church, you freak out. You have to go through like three days of assessment. You have to read all kinds of books about how to do this. Peter and Paul basically got, go. Go do what? Yes, go. What are we supposed to do? You'll know when you get there. Go. Just go. And they, had to, they just had to make this up as they went along. The Holy Spirit would tell Paul, I want you to go to this city. Okay. And go to that city. Okay. Sometimes they got instructions like for the day, right? Like Peter is like praying one day, and, that, and, the, and the God basically says, Hey, uh, Peter, I want you to go see Simon the Tanner. Simon who? 
the tanner. Not Simon the welder, Simon the tanner. All right? Go see Simon the tanner. He has no idea who this person is, but he's told to go. He goes. Right? He goes. He starts preaching to the people and, you know, that, that are gathered there. And this is hysterical in Acts. Peter is preaching. And in the middle of his sermon, the Holy Spirit comes down and everybody starts speaking in tongues. I'm not sure whether I'd be insulted by that, that I haven't finished my sermon and God said enough. Right? I don't know how to take that. But all of a sudden, people are just sitting there speaking, you know, they're speaking in tongues. And what was so funny about the early church is, then they have a debate about whether or not the people who are just invaded by the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and who Jesus told to go see are really saved. Because that's what we do in like committees in church. Right? Are those people saved? I don't know, they're speaking in tongues. Right? But they got no help. Go, there, talk to this person. Just go. That's it. They were what we would call today entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are people who start with nothing, take a risk, go out and do it. And they have no idea what they're doing. They just kind of go as along and they just build things as they go along. Right? And last year I read the biography of Steve Jobs. It's a fascinating read, right? Steve Jobs created Apple basically with his best friend in a garage. His best friend was a nerd who held up like this box with plywood and goes, look at this. And Steve Jobs goes, that's brilliant. Everybody else said, that's a box, that's plywood, and a TV screen. And Steve Jobs goes, no, that's the future, man. I can sell that. And he did. Created Apple. But he will tell you he had no idea. Half the things he did flopped. Some of them flopped big. Anybody remember Apple TV? Right? Entrepreneurs. We need entrepreneurs. We need risk takers in the church. We need people who will go in to break into new areas for the kingdom of God with new ways. The reason we, we get a lot of trash talk you know, from other churches about revolution, and they're always like, well, they do this, they do that. Well, yeah, because if you want to reach different people, you do different things. If you want to reach the same people, you just keep doing what you're doing. Does that not make sense? You have, we need entrepreneurs. We need people with imagination and guts who take some risk and go out and do it. We have entrepreneurs in this church, right? I mean, the guys from Shook Like Dead Men, some of them are up here. I mean, going out and playing hardcore music, and I've listened to their music, it's, it's, it's different. There's, there's, there's a twist on it, right? Dowdy's got, you know, a, a really rich background and stuff and different kinds of music, and he puts a little twist on it. It's, just, it's not typical hardcore. Instant. It's different. But it's got a great message to it. Zach does a great job of leading that and, and, and making sure that it's a worshipful event. That's entrepreneurial leadership, right? Breaking new ground for the kingdom of God. We need entrepreneurs. We need risk takers. We need people who will step out and do things. One of the greatest times in my ministry was when Dave came and told me that, hey, did you know that we have people walking through the East End? We have some young ladies who just started walking through the East End to reach out to prostitutes. I said, no, I had no idea. I didn't approve it. Do you approve it? No. Who cares? That's fantastic. You get called by God to do something, you just go do it. And it may fail. So what? 
When we started this church, Ryan, Justin, and I, we had a saying. All we can do is fail. Who cares? Take some risks. We need profits. And by profits, I mean we need people calling the people of God back to mission. And we have prophets in this church. We have guys who are, live in the East End, right? And people who are doing East End ministry and people who go to the Father's Table ministry. And what are they doing? Calling the church back. When WSAZ you know, did their thing on the East End and all this other kind of stuff on the East End and, and they were talking about you know, what, what Caleb and Stephen the guys are, are doing over there and you know, all that kind of stuff. All these churches contacted me. It's like, well, that's great that you're doing that. And my response was always the same, which was, why aren't you doing it? I had somebody tell me yesterday, well, that's a special kind of ministry. Following Jesus? When did following Jesus become a special kind of ministry? Last time I checked, that is ministry. Where did Jesus go? Drunken parties? Hanging out with traitors and prostitutes? Followers of Jesus need to follow Jesus. That's where he went. That's where we're supposed to go. Prophets call people back to that. Say, this is what we need to do. Evangelists. We need evangelists. Now, everybody's supposed to spread the gospel, but let's face it. Some people are better than others. Right? The kind of people that I call to Jesus Christ are typically not your sunny, rosy personality kind of people who like to watch like the... The, the, the home garden channel or whatever. Right? I just don't connect with those people. Right? Grumpy nerds. That's who I, that's who I connect with. Right? You find me a really grumpy nerd living in his mom's basement, I'll get that guy to Jesus. <laughs> right? Spend a lot of time playing Dungeons and Dragons? Come talk to Pastor Matt. All right? That's fine. We need people, more people, that will lead other people to go and evangelize. We need those people who can talk to anybody. You ever met one of those people who can just talk to anybody? It's a special person. It's a gift. We need people who can go and reach out. Now, I pick on him a lot, but you know, Eric Kimsey is a guy who in our church that does a really good job just reaching out to people, even people who are not Christians, like Eric, right? Despite the fact that he's goofy, he's it's still, they really, they really like him. Eric's just one of those guys that people like, and it, 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 he, that's a gift from God. Why? To evangelize, to bring people to Jesus Christ. And we need people like Eric to take the lead to help other people to go and do that, right? Eric... I know that one of Eric's, you know, dirty secrets is this. And I'm going to wait a second, just so you can use your imagination. One of the things that Eric loves to do when he's not being driven crazy by schoolwork is go to the Port City Pub for trivia night, right? And here's what I learned going to a trivia night with Eric. Every bartender and Waiter and waitress knows who Eric is. They know him by name. Now, you can draw two conclusions from that. <laughs> right? Typically, even though I'm a glass-half-empty guy, I drew the more sunnier conclusion, which is just that 
because I've never seen Eric drunk, that therefore Eric just gets along with them. They just like him. See, I have this idea that the reason Jesus was the incarnate sinless son of God and prostitutes, traitors, and drunks wanted to be around him was because people just liked him. I think he just had a non-threatening presence about him that anyone knew they could just come and talk to him. And that's a gift. And so we need more people like Eric to take the lead on that, to establish relationships, to bring people to Jesus Christ. We need shepherds, pastors, to disciple the saved. Those who have been brought in to take them aside and say, okay, how can we help you grow? What are the practical ways that that we can help you grow? Meeting one-on-one, praying together, leading them into Scripture, teaching them the spiritual disciplines. And here at Revolution, the people who do that very well are Dave and Krista Dunham. They do a fantastic job. Dave is on staff part-time to do just that. And we got his wife for free, and she's worth twice as much. (laughs) Right? And they do a fantastic job of holding people's feet to the fire in a grace-filled way and, and bringing people so that they, they, they're in a system, they're doing the things they need to do to grow closer to Jesus Christ. We need more of those. And we need great teachers. So here's the problem. What we think we need in a great church is that what we need is a really great band, a really good building, and a really exciting teacher. I worked in Hollywood for two years, politics for five years. That's exactly what they say they need to. Right? When I worked in politics, we need to have it a nice place, we need to have the best speakers, and we need to have good musical acts to entertain everybody and to get their money. I don't think that's how the church should do things. I don't have a problem with nice buildings. I would like one. I don't have a problem with good music. Ryan does a great job with the music. I was talking to a guy this week who's a drummer, and I asked him, he's a good drummer, I asked him if he'd want to you know, come in and maybe try out for, for Ryan. I said, but just be prepared. He's a perfectionist. I, I, that's great. We need good teaching, which means you may have to fire me, but still. Those things are great, but that's not, that's not a church. A church is all of these. A church is entrepreneurs breaking new ground. A church is prophetic, calling people to remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, that what you do for the least among you is what you do for me. And in fact, I will not let you enter my kingdom if you have ignored the poor. We need those people. We need the evangelists who are constantly going to people and introducing them to Jesus Christ. We need shepherds discipling people one-on-one and in groups. And we need teaching. We need all of it. Because we're in a war. There's darkness all around us. For goodness sakes, last week, a prostitute who, praise God, the guys in the East End have been ministering to and praying with, but a prostitute was nearly strangled outside of our building, for goodness sakes. There is darkness here. There is evil here. And you do not defeat evil by retreating into a nice building. You defeat evil by taking the light into the darkness. 
And we can only do that if we're fully prepared. You don't train an army by having a, 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 an effective communicator come in and say, here's what war is like, and give you, I'm going to give you 45 minutes with what, what, with what war is like, and I'm going to give you lots of exciting, funny examples and a couple of lame jokes from Yahoo, and then we're going to turn you loose. Could you imagine the slaughter? You need to be prepared fully to go to war, and that's what we hope to prepare you to do. We have said from the beginning, we want to be an instrument in the hands of God to kick the darkness until it bleeds daylight. That's what we want. And we need all five of those. And that means this. This is how it You need to discover your gifts. And you need to discover what ministry you are going to do. Ministry is not just for the pros. There's a place for professional ministry. Ministry is for every single Christian. Every single one. And yes, you discover your strength and you go. And so what I hope to do, because I'm a fundraiser, I'm going to try to raise some money. And I'm going to try to buy books on, 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 from Zondervan on finding, discovering your spiritual gifts. I want to try to buy one for each person here. And I want you to take the test. And I want you to meet with Dave or I or Justin or Ryan And we want to go over your spiritual gifts with you. And we want to help you do ministry. We want to put you to work. We want to put you in the battlefield. And we want to put you in the right place. You don't hand a sniper rifle to a guy with with poor vision. We've got to find the right place for you. And we want to do that. Because here's the deal. As you hear us say every week. The simple fact is, I hope that all of us are in heaven together. And if we're in heaven together, it's all because that 2,000 years ago, in a Roman backwater, God became man and went to the cross and took the penalty for all of our sins, every sin we have ever committed upon himself, so that we would never have to face that penalty. He lived a perfect life to grant us that perfect life so that we are judged by His perfect life and not our own. And knowing that there is no penalty and we are judged by Jesus' life so that we get eternity, that is why the Bible calls this good, good news. And when we see Jesus one day, and I hope we are all there, the simple fact is, as I've heard uh, Professor Don Carson say many times, is we will look at His wounds And we will think only one thing. Why didn't I do more? We want you to do more. We want to equip you to do more. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that, first of all, I just thank you for your grace. I thank you that you loved us so much that you left your throne in heaven. You came down here. You were tempted by every temptation. You went to the cross to take the penalty for our sins. You rose again, promising to grant us your life. And then all you ask is in return. The smallest part of eternity is what we have now. And in that time, to serve you in in, in whatever way, whatever gifts you have given us, just to serve you as much as we can to your honor and your glory. And what I pray is every single person here will, one, know you. 
That if they don't know you, they'll come and they'll talk to myself or Justin or Ryan or David and let us pray with them and, and so that they come to know you and begin a relationship and begin following you. And then after that, that they worship you. They grow closer to you. And then they serve you in what, and however you want them to serve you and however brings you glory. If that means encouraging others, if that means counseling others, if that means serving the poor constantly, whatever it means. Even if it means you have a name like Shook Like Dead Men and you play hardcore music. Whatever it is, we pray that you will enable us to do that, empower us to do that, and to do it well. In Jesus' name, amen.